Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women. Today, we are speaking with Susan Gross-Sherlinsky, and she is a partner and an attorney at the esteemed Epstein Becker Green Firm. Now, Susan is an expert in workforce issues. She works on things like sexual harassment, working with companies and employers on things like discrimination, women's issues, LGBTQ issues. She has many positions at the firm, including vice chair, of the Employment, Labor, and Workforce Management Steering Committee, the Diversity and Professional Development Committee. She also is responsible as part of the Executive Committee for the Women's Initiative. She also has been very active on global discrimination issues and board diversity, specifically focused on women. Recently, Susan was recognized as one of the top 100, 2020's Responsible 100 by New York State. This is an award award bestowed upon private sector leaders whose work makes the life of better in communities in New York City and across the state. Susan went to Cornell. She received her law degree from Northwestern. And Susan, we're delighted to have you on Inspiring Women this morning. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, Susan, you're an expert, so let's just get started. Um, these are going to be really interesting issues to talk about. Um, you have a unique perspective, just given your um, strong experience in employment and the law. So can you give us a sense of what you do at the firm? Sure, sure. Um, so aside from sort of the firm-related uh, roles that, that you've mentioned, which is just, you know, probably half my time, I really enjoy, um, you know, helping sort of steer the firm um, with respect to, you know, where my practice is going, um, you know, where our women's initiative, our diversity, things are, are, are moving. So, um, you know, that that's a, a lot of my day. Um, but with respect to my practice in particular, uh, it's really just a fun practice. Before the pandemic, uh, a lot of my work focused on helping employers develop their personnel policies and making sure those are compliant across all 50 states. The laws are coming fast and, and furiously uh, in a lot of different areas now. Um, I counsel on employee relations issues, discipline, discrimination, issues like unconscious bias, leaves of absence, accommodation of disabilities and pregnancy and medical related conditions. I conduct investigations. I draft all sorts of agreements. Uh, I provide a lot of uh, sexual harassment prevention training and um, also a lot of training for our clients' managers on sort of how to be a, a good manager, not get yourself in trouble, to sort of issue spot all of the, you know, leave accommodation type issues and, you know, discipline issues, train uh, a, a lot of our clients' HR staff on, on staying up to date on all the uh, legal developments and, and trends, what they mean for our clients, what, what might be coming down the pike. I, I look at a lot of 
trends. You know, over the past year, for example, employers have become more sensitive to concerns about sort of racial issues, social injustice. And obviously, the pandemic has shined a light on, on a lot of things, including things like uh, discrimination against Asian Americans, um, you know, women's issues, and we'll, we'll get more into that uh, sort of as we go on. But, you know, this administration seems to be sort of leaning in aggressively on these issues. Uh, I think we're about to see, you know, a, a, some more focus on, on the Me Too movement. And, uh, you know, let's hope so. Let's hope so. It has been an explosive year of change um, in this area. I have to imagine this pandemic, while it's upended almost everything um, that we do in this particular field in your practice, is, <laughs> has to have been just like an incredibly busy year. Before we sort of dive into some of those issues, which I really do want to talk more about, maybe Susan, just give us some background of like, how, how did you get here? How did you, how did you become so expert in this area? Why was this of such great interest to you? I think perhaps I just kind of fell into it a little bit. Um, you know, I actually had no thoughts of even going into, uh, you know, to law. Wound up going to the uh, Cornell, you know, Industrial and Labor Relations Program. And, you know, that that's a program that's, you know, at, at Cornell, and it sort of focuses on, um, you know, employment and, and business issues. Uh, including learning about things like economics and psychology, um, and 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 really, it's interesting. I mean, I, I tell people a lot that um, you know my my work here is sort of half law, half psychology, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's just it's just always been really very interesting to me. Um, I get to spend. Um, a lot of time, you know, talking to companies who really do want to do the right thing um, and really just shaping their policies and procedures. You know, when I do uh, harassment avoidance training, um, it, it, it's interesting. It has sort of changed and become more interactive uh, over the past couple of years since Me Too. People have, um, you know, whether it's a selfish interest or, or whatever, it's definitely become more of a discussion, you know, which is which is really great. So there's just so many aspects of, of what I do um, that just feel like, uh, you know, more than being just a lawyer. Well, let's talk about harassment, because I think for most companies, sexual harassment training, it's mandatory. It's uh, at least, you know, what I've seen, it's conducted um, all over the place. And so that's good. But I think the things that we're reading about from the pandemic, it hasn't been fantastic for women in particular in professional careers. And sexual harassment is becoming more of an issue. The Me Too movement, which has many different sides to it, it's great to hear you say that that's going to be getting more more attention. Let, let's just talk about sexual harassment. What are you seeing? And do you think companies are doing a good job? And, and maybe some of the, the we're, there are bright line issues, which I think we can all understand, but the more subtle issues is when thing becomes, something becomes sexual harassment. And what can women do in particular to avoid these issues? I do think that people are taking this more seriously. People are making more complaints in the workplace. I think the newer generations are, are less shy about bringing something up when something is bothering them. And companies really are trying to sort of address these things, um, you know, as they come up. It, it, it's interesting. Um, I was doing sexual harassment training this morning, as a matter of fact, and um, somebody uh, raised a question and said sort of, you know, well, what 
are there any obligations for people who just kind of are, are there and are seeing harassment go on? Like, what should they do? And I said, well, that's a great question. I said, you know, managers on the one hand, you know, really do have an obligation to address it because once they see harassment going on, they really are on notice. But with respect to everybody else, it's, it's interesting. Um, the EEOC back in, in 2016, right before the Me Too movement, they, they came out with sort of this big diatribe on addressing sexual harassment in the workplace. And, and one of the things that they suggested in there, which um, you know is really a very good idea, and New York City has now required that to be part of its mandatory training, is being a good bystander. So they call it bystander intervention. And this is basically something that was borrowed from another unfortunate circumstance, which is rape on college campuses, where people would just sort of sit back and say, not my problem, I'm not getting involved. And that's obviously the wrong answer. So it's been extrapolated now to the workplace and, and people are being encouraged through this training to address these issues, to, to, to support a victim when something inappropriate happens, to, to say, hey, you know, if I'll head down to human resources with you. Do you need help? Or, you know, look, if you're not ready to complain now, just know that I was a witness to that and I'm happy to be your witness should you make a complaint later. Um, you know, or to sort of shame the, the, the wrongdoer um, for engaging in the bad behavior. So, you know, there's definitely more of a conversation about it today, um, you know, than, than, there really, than there really has been before. So that's really interesting, Susan. But let's also talk about things like Zoom meetings. I've been reading a lot about just, you know, people who are in that environment. Many people are spending, you know, the majority of their days on Zoom meetings, but harassment is increasing. I was surprised by that. What are you seeing? You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me how, um, you know, I say, I wish people would use their creativity for good instead of evil, right? You know, they can't harass each other in the office, so people now figure out ways to harass each other on Zoom. It's, it's interesting to me, um, you know, whether people are just saying inappropriate things on Zoom. I, I kid you not, I had sexual harassment training the other day, and, you know, in the background, in one of the boxes, it looks like a... I, I don't know, uh, just a, a, a fun house in college. And, and there's people running around shirtless men. And I like really, wow. <laughs> it just did it, it uh, during sexual harassment training. I kid you <laughs> not. Um, so again, it's, it's unfortunate, but unfortunately, you know, sexual harassment doesn't go away. It just changes form when the technology is different, believe it or not. So, so for women, it's great to hear that there is a bystanders or there are people who are um, being trained and helpful and, you know, allies perhaps, you know, for people, but what can individual women do when they notice it? And also, can you give some sense of where, where it becomes more the subtle issues, where it's the gray areas and what women might do? So the casual comments about how you look or, you know, what you're wearing, those kinds of things, which maybe, I don't know. I'm not the expert, borderline kinds of issues. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are, are just clueless. And I do think that to the extent that you are comfortable telling somebody that makes a comment that really, you know, whether it's to you or to somebody else, that really they should think about what they're saying and, and that that might not be the most appropriate thing to say. Um, it really just might go much further than you than you think it would. I've seen so many scenarios where the alleged perpetrator, right, when it turns into a complaint, when it really didn't have to, just has no idea. They thought they were being so nice by giving compliments to people. And if they had known that it bothered anybody, they just wouldn't have done it. 
So I think really having having that conversation, if you're comfortable doing it, um, you know, really just does go a long way. Let's move to maybe a different type of issue. So you also do a lot of work in the area of payment audits. And clearly, we know the statistics that women still are not at payment parity um, as men. So you audit companies, you do things of that nature. And women always ask me, whether it's on this podcast or elsewhere, how to negotiate for salary and know what they're worth. So what do you see? How do you advise companies? And what do you think women can do to advocate for themselves for pay? payment parity? Yeah, I mean, so I'll address this sort of individual one first. I mean, I do think that that women, to the extent that they can train themselves in negotiation, they really should do so. Um, a lot of women that I know are really much better negotiating for other people than themselves. And, you know, to the extent that they learn better how to sort of utilize those skills and, and hone those skills for themselves, I think they would you know, do a lot better, you know, instead of, for example, complaining about not getting the same, uh, you know, pay as somebody else really sort of going and affirmatively saying, look how, look what I did for this company. You know, I enhanced this, I made that better, I blah, blah, blah. And therefore, you know, I, I, I like to, you know, be recognized and, and compensated for it. I'd like a promotion and a pay raise. And, if you get just one, hey, you know, that that's great. You, you, you got something. If you didn't ask for anything, you wouldn't have gotten anything. You know, I do think that the salary history bans uh, that are getting passed, you know, all over the country, you know, the, the concept at least is, is really good. This way, the, the, the concept behind them, right, is that if women have been discriminated against in the past uh, in terms of their compensation, that, you know, basing their compensation at your company on their prior compensation, you're just really perpetuating the past discrimination. So, um, you know, in many states and cities, employers are just no longer able to ask, um, you know, what somebody earns at their current employer. They may be able to ask what it's going to take to bring you over. So again, there go the, the negotiation skills. You, you, you want to learn how to ask for something and, and, and maybe ask for more than, than, than what you think uh, you might get so that when you do negotiate, you wind up in a, in a better place. And how do you find out? So for so that's really terrific advice in terms of, you know, changing of laws and what people can ask new applicants. But how can those applicants or people who are looking for something find out? Most women that I speak to, they don't really know um, what they're worth. And they and that's the constant question. How do I know what I'm worth? And it seems like, you know, that, um, you know, how you feel about compensation is more relative to what others are compensated, not always just what you individually are compensated. It, it definitely is tricky. I mean, there, you know, there are certain places on the internet where you can look and see, uh, you know, where people are paid in, in your area, both geographically and, and with respect, um, you know, to your business area. So to the extent that you can, you know, find that out, that's great. Now, interestingly, there's pay transparency laws in, in, in many jurisdictions as well. Now, I, I don't know if others are going to necessarily tell you, you know, what they're earning. But again, I, it's a generational thing. I, I will tell you that nowadays, a lot of people are sharing amongst one another, you know, what they're what they're earning, and and they're allowed to do that. Employers actually can't tell them um, that they can't do it. It's actually always, you know, been that way for for non-managers uh, since the National Labor Relations Act was passed in in the 1940s. But you know, many states have passed similar laws uh, in the past five years or so that apply to not only non-managers but also managers, where people can actually share their compensation. So that is something you're allowed to talk about. But I would say 
um, in relation to your question about um, pay audits, you know, just the fact that these laws are, are out there and that the EEOC may be, um, you know, coming back and, and, and uh, you know, requiring companies to report, uh, you know, more of their compensation. Some states have passed laws regarding that as well. Companies are spending more time thinking about it, and, and they are spending time justifying why person X is making more than person Y, and, and, and if there's not a justification, um, taking steps to fix it. So we definitely have seen employers um, you know, looking at these issues, and even if they don't go through a full pay audit themselves, again, sort of one-off fixes I, I definitely see being made. And the workforce, just I will just say the human workforce, it's mobile right now. So people are staying in jobs for shorter periods of time before they might move to another company. So for the companies that you advise, um, those who are doing it well, what are the types of things that people should look for, you know, for companies who are spending a lot of effort on these? These are complex issues. They've been around forever, but it's great to hear that there is um, real focus on them. My daughter, she's out, she's going to be looking um, to join some firm, you know, after she graduates from her, her grad school. What should she look for in an employer, an employer that takes this, this work seriously, provides transparency? How would she find that out um, and know that this is a good place to work? You know, I, I mean, I think, as I said, there are certain things that are available on the internet, whether it's the, the websites that are reporting on, you know, which companies are better than others. Uh, a lot of compensation discussions are, are sort of had there. You've got to take those with a little bit of a grain of salt. But I think, you know, looking at a company's website, right, do they have an EEO statement? Do they have a diversity statement? Do they require training of their employees? Do they have uh, employee resource groups? Do they have a women's initiative? Um, you know, things like that are definitely things that um, that you can look for uh, when you're looking for a potential employer. Those are great pieces of advice, Susan. I really appreciate that. As we close out this discussion, it's so interesting with all your expertise for as you think about younger women who are trying to navigate their careers. What advice might you give just in some closing thoughts here? Yeah, you know, I, with the with the pandemic, I, you know, there there have been sort of a, a lot of issues, but I would say there is some sort of bright side as well. I think the fact that a lot of states and cities are passing, uh, you know, paid parental leave laws, um, you know, I do think one of sort of the biggest game changers that I've seen out there is is these laws, and and the millennial uh, men are just as likely to take three months off as as women in, in terms of when they or their family members have babies. So honestly, I, you know, I, I think that's going to be sort of a, a, a pretty big shift and pretty significant, you know, more significant than, than a lot of other changes that, that we have seen. Uh, and I know that's not really advice. I mean, I guess really the, the advice um, would be, I, I guess, two things. You know, number one, to sort of take things sort of head on to the extent that there is any sort of a bad situation or something that, um, you know, doesn't sit right with you, um, you know, don't let it fester. Don't let it grow into something that that maybe it wasn't even in, in the first place. You know, women, in my experience, maybe a little bit more sensitive about some of these things and sort of take the blame for things that are, you know, that they shouldn't be taking the blame for. And I think talking to somebody about something that really could be a misunderstanding may just nip that in the bud and, and, and make it go away completely. And I would say also, you know, your career is, is really a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, I, I think that some people, you know, might think it's a sprint, but it really isn't. You know, if something 
good doesn't happen every single day, but, you know, that's okay. It might be the next day. It might be the day after. But I, I think just sort of sitting back and, and looking at it uh, in the long term uh, and the long run, you know, might make people feel more comfortable. Susan, this is just such great advice. I so appreciate you sharing your expertise with us here on Inspiring Women. This has been a fantastic conversation with Susan Groshelinski. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.